Our Bible is open to Matthew number 5 tonight. If you want to turn with us in God's Word. And then we're going to be turning to the first book of the Bible. That's chapter 26. Genesis number 26 in God's Word. I brought five sermons with me tonight. <laughs> I better put... Put four of them out of my sight here. I have been accused of preaching more than one sermon at a time. Preacher in Birmingham area where I've been going for years on an annual basis. He introduced me the other evening and he said, Brother Hurt, we appreciate your sermons, but we like them one at a time. <laughs> Matthew number five. Genesis number 26 in God's Word. It's a joy to greet you and such a special joy since He is presence. I have said that every service and I don't want to take for granted the reality, the warmth, the refreshing sense of His presence. I was liking what the preacher's saying there, paying attention to it, till he come off of that how do you put it? Said he's getting old. <laughs> I didn't say amen to that. <laughs> Lest I be remiss later, let me express my appreciation for every expression of your kindness to me. And, and I'm grateful. I say that sincerely. I don't have the words to adequately express my appreciation to you for your kindness to me. And You've always been kind, and you've always just been receptive and encouraging, and I say that very sincerely. And this time, I mentioned to my wife, talking to her a little uh, earlier in the afternoon, she was asking again about the meeting, and I said somewhat what the preacher said a moment ago. I said, I've never been to temple without sensing the Lord's presence, having liberty to preach and enjoying myself, but I said, there has just been a little extra this year. You know, it's not to, uh, I'm not to referring to my preaching anything. I'm just saying, you know, the meeting. The Lord is here. There's an extra touch. There's just an extra sense of His presence. And I tell you, you can get up and quote Mary had a little lamb when the Lord's around. It'll go over. Amen. <laughs> so preachers know about that. So uh, I'm blessed to have had the opportunity of being here. And I'm grateful for your kindness in every way that you've expressed it. I appreciate and this church's kindness to my companion. Annually, when I'm here, she receives a beautiful bouquet of roses. She told me yesterday to be sure and thank you, Pastor and Church, that you sent those roses. Tell me how beautiful they, they are. And I appreciate that, too. My wife is a sweetheart, but she's always sweeter to me when I get home when you send her these roses. And I'm even thinking about taking off tonight. I don't know. I've been gone a week, so I do appreciate your kindness. I, I never cease to marvel at your music around this place. I mean that. I, I've taken music, recorded music from here, and my wife, this is uh, one of her, your choir and your singing. I mean, you're one of her favorites. And uh, she's all already hinting at, have you got a tape this year? <laughs> I said, well, I've got some tapes of preaching. She said, I'm not talking about preaching. I'm talking about that music. 
I said, well, they'll think I'm a beggar if I keep on hitting around, you know, wanting some of them tapes. She said, well, <laughs> friend of mine, you'd have to know this preacher. He said, now, Brother Hurt, he was, uh, I talked him out of a sermon or two he had. And he said, if they ask me to take part in your funeral, if you go home before I do, he said, I'm going to take the text out of over there in the book of Luke, chapter number 16. And I said, what in the world are you going to preach about that. He said, that little expression, and the beggar died. <laughs> so I I told my wife to make sure if I go home before he does, he don't have a word. Amen. <laughs> but I'm grateful. And I say that uh, sincerely tonight. I preached a series when I was in the pastorate from this portion of Matthew 5. In fact, we covered Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I don't know how many, at least a dozen messages. I entitled the series, How to Make a Difference. What kind of people are the people that God can use in a community to make a difference? To go out in their community and impact their community for God and for good. And we tried to apply the Sermon on the Mount, the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, as you're aware here before us, is the Beatitude. And then he takes the rest of the sermon and he sort of works out these truths that he gave in the Beatitude. You'll find them as he sort of amplifies them. And he's telling his people in that day just a little handful, really. He said to them in verses 13 through 16, having given the Beatitudes, he, he begins to talk to them and he uses these uh, two symbols here that identifies who he said they were. And in doing that, he's, he's letting them know that the society around them is a decaying society and it needs some salt. He lets them know the people that's around them is a, the society is a dark society and they need some light. So he said, you're the salt of the earth, verse 13. Don't miss that now. He didn't say try to be salt. He said you are. That's who in essence the people of God are. They're salt. We perhaps cannot get a hold of what he is really saying. They, salt was that preserving agency primarily then. Kept that which was perishable from perishing easily and quickly. And uh, I repeat, he's saying to them, you're going to send you out and you're to function in your society as salt. But then he gives a warning. If the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. You're the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. What kind of people are the people that makes a difference for God? I'm not preaching the message out of this portion tonight. I just want to introduce it here. And the truth that's stated here, I, I want us to see it illustrated in Genesis chapter number 26. You want to turn there with me? We're going to be looking at a person that some of us are not that familiar with tonight. 
He's not a well-known character in the Bible. He has a famous father. He has a, a famous son. We all know his father Abraham, and we all know his son Jacob. But Isaac is before us tonight. And Isaac is before us tonight as one that in his community, he, he had an impact. He made a difference. People noticed that God was with him, and they acknowledged it. And I want us to use him tonight as sort of an example, a little different approach to the message that I've been taking these other nights. But I want us just to sort of try to learn tonight from a person in Genesis chapter number uh, 26 who his neighbors made some rather insightful statements about him. I want you to think with me now in chapter number 26. Look at, let's just zero in on a couple of verses at this time and then we want to pick some truths out here. But they're, they're verses 28 and 29. Genesis 26 verses 28 and 29. And they said, notice now verse 28, we saw certainly the Lord was with thee. That's not family members saying that. That's not his kinfolk. That's neighbors. In fact, it's pagan neighbors. People that don't go to the same church he goes to. People who don't worship the same altar he worships at. People, to be honest, uh, well, you hadn't been real friendly heretofore uh, toward this man in the past. And yet, after some time of being around them, and, and uh, the statement out of the honesty of their heart, they said, we saw certainly. No question about it. The Lord was with thee. And then look, please, in verse number 29, at the last expression in that verse, brings the same truth before us again, the same crowd talking, and they said, Thou art now the blessed of the Lord. Or if you please, the blessed of the Lord. Now here's a group of people around Isaac, and they're acknowledging that they have observed, they've noticed, we saw... No question about it. God's with you. The Lord's presence is with you. And then they said, you're the object of his blessing. You're receiving his blessing. Thou art now the blessed of the Lord. You're a blessed man, they're saying. God blesses you. God's with you. God has his hand on you. If we want to bring it into some terminology we relate to now, God walks with you. God's with you. God's blessing you. And I repeat, here's their neighbors. What kind of life is it that causes your pagan neighbors, in the honesty of their heart, have to acknowledge, your God's real. Your God's with you. Your God blesses you. What kind of person is that? What kind of life is involved in a life that will constitute a life of one that is blessed of the Lord, that obviously people around you have to acknowledge, whether they agree with you or not, but in their honesty of their heart, they have to acknowledge God's with that man, God's with that woman. I think we see some things here in Isaac. I want to talk about influence tonight. I want to talk about it, the importance of influence. I want to talk about testimony tonight. I want to talk about how to go about building a powerful testimony with your friends, with your family, with your associates at work, with your neighbors. 
But then when you attempt to speak to them, when you begin to use your lips, because your life has impacted them, they'll come near to listen when we begin to speak to them. If we work around them in a way that God is with us, in a way that they have to acknowledge, God's with that man. God's with that woman. You're now the blessed of the Lord. You're the object of His blessing. I was in a meeting. They'd asked me to speak. They, they called it. It was uh, billed as a retreat, a couple's retreat. They'd asked me to speak. I spoke five times to uh, these couples. They'd come from different areas, even different states. There was a large place there where the auditorium was. They have a beautiful facilities that they stayed in, and then we go over to the auditorium. And I spoke five times in three days, and, and, and they'd asked me to, to speak along the line to relate to couples and and, and, uh, and home and marriage and so forth. And, and I had the opportunity, yeah, the, the responsibility and privilege to speak to those couples. And and the uh, director of the conference, he, he had them to stand in one of those morning sessions and gave them time. There was a number of people there. And he said, we'd like to just have a, a little time of testimony. And I'd like to ask you just to reflect after the music, before the preacher comes, I want you just to stand and tell us, and he put it like this, uh, the circumstances that was involved in you coming to Christ, when you became a Christian, when you were saved, when you were converted, just stand up and tell us if you care to. He said, I, I think that'd be of interest and be of help, and, and, and one before me had talked along that line to help us, you know, to be burdened, to reach out to others, and... And they did, and I observed, and it was real interest to me to hear the very first person that stood up. He, he, he was, he was tender in his remarks. He's emotional. He said, my godly father is the human means of me being a believer. You could hardly talk about it, but he praised God for his father's testimony, for his impact. The reality, he said, of Jesus Christ in the, in the life of my father. And the moment he was seated, there's a lady right behind him stood. And she said, it was my mother. My mother was the most Christ-like person I ever met in my life. My mother was the light in my darkness. My mother was the salt of the earth to me that created a thirst in me and wanted me to have what, what she had to offer. That I really listened to what she said to me because the way she lived around me. And that went on and on. And family members, friends. I don't think I heard a one stand up and just say, you know, some stranger ran up on me and, and spoke a word to me and, and you know, never met. No, every one of them seemed to have a family member or a friend or a work associate, somebody, a, a neighbor had influenced them, had been light for them had been salt, uh, that they were not only uh, in the sense of preserving, but salt, as you know, is, is a flavoring agency. And salt has that ability to create a thirst within. And every one of them, they, they talked about how someone has impacted their life. Remember when I pastored a church, had the privilege of pastoring church east of Indianapolis, where I live now? And uh, it's uh, testimony in contrast tonight, but there was a man that, uh, he he called me and he said, uh, he identified himself. He said, I don't know really a lot about what I'm going to talk to you about, Reverend. He called me Reverend. But he said, I, I want to say right up front, he told me where he was from. He lived Greenfields, a suburb of Indianapolis, some 30, 40 miles from the downtown area, 20 miles from out the city limit there. 
And uh, he, he lived out there, built a big, beautiful home. He's an official over at the Ford plant, the Ford Motor. He's retired. He'd come in there when the, when the Ford plant started in Indianapolis. He came from Detroit. And he's not just one of the foremans. I mean, he's one of the officials there. He's in retirement now, and he called me. Hurt, and I said, well, that's the preacher. He said, uh, I'm going to ask you a question in a moment. I want to talk to you about something. And he said, bear with me. I'm ignorant about what I'm going to talk about. Told me who he was. But he said, now, I understand that you know, and he named a person. I'm talking about influence tonight. I understand that you know this person. I said, well. He said, I understand that he's part of your family. And I said, yes, sir. He's your brother. I said, yes, sir. Uh, you're his pastor. I said, that's right. He said, could I ask you a question? And I said, yeah. He said, now, nah, I don't know hardly how to put this. Other but he said, is your religion the same kind he's got? <laughs> I said, I expect it is. <laughs> and then he was kind in his remarks to my brother. He said, to be honest, I, I don't know what made me do it, but I've tried to make it hard on your brother. My brother retired from there. He was in a skilled trade, and they would interact with him being an official. And he said, uh, I don't know what made me do it. But there's times I'd try to make it rough on him, and he knew I did. And there's emotion in that man's voice. And he said and told me on the phone, if I want to see him, he said, your brother is the most decent human being I've ever met. He said, I need God. I don't know much about God, but I know I need God. He said, could you come talk to me if you've got the same kind of religion he's got? <laughs> And I had the joy of leading the faith in Christ. He is as humble as a lamb, educated, even a scholarly man in some realms. But there he was, as meek as a lamb, broken, devastated because of something that happened. And, and, and he said, all I can think about is how your brother used to talk to me. And said, when I was ugly, it seemed like he was nicer to me and kinder when I was being ugly. And he said, that nearly killed me, but I didn't dare tell him, he said. But in contrast, I knocked on the door fellow said, I told him where I was from, and I said, I'm just out in the neighborhood, knocking on the door, introducing myself, and I was just, you know, as you'd say sometimes, just cold turkey visitation, door to door in the community, getting acquainted, inviting people, and if I had opportunity to try to talk to them, went them to the Lord, and he said, you're from where? And I told him the name of the church, he said, could I ask you a question? And I said, yeah. He said, so-and-so, he said, isn't that his church? <laughs> I felt like saying, I've never heard any. <laughs> Do I need to say any more? He said, I want to tell you something. He said, Reverend, he said, I should maybe be this rude to you, but he said, if that's the church you're from, he said, now, you're wasting your time talking to me. If that's, if he's identified with that church. Talking to a businessman, and this fellow's a businessman, and he says, one of the crookedest men I've ever met in my life. He's dishonest. Well, I know it can be two sides to the story, but I found out later that that man was telling the truth on the fellow. And yet the door was slammed. The door was closed. Here's a man may go to hell over someone else's carnality, and if he's even saved at all, and is dishonest in his crookedness. Lack of being a Christian and not being a light in darkness for that man. Not being the salt in a decaying society as he ought to be. Now, Lord said, I'm going to send you out, but I want you to know you're to function as light and you're to function as salt in a society that's decaying, that's dark, and don't have a way. And so, instead of preaching it from that text and looking at those other truths, 
I want us tonight, I'm just, just as simple as I know how to put it, and that's the only way I can put it. I want you to look with me. We're just going to pick out some truths here. Genesis chapter number 26, and, and, and look at verse 1 with me. And I want to make five simple suggestions about building a good testimony, about uh, having the kind of life that can make a difference. And, and, and it challenges me. It speaks to me. I, I speak to Wilbur Hurt tonight when I'm, when I'm sharing this with you. And I said to the Lord again this afternoon, Lord, help me. In these areas that I see, here's a man that had these different things going in his life that caused these pagans to realize and to acknowledge God's with you, God blesses you. Now, in verse number 1 of chapter number 26 of the book of Genesis, we're told there was a famine in the land. And then we're told that it was a famine that was beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And here's Abraham's son Isaac, and he goes to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. And the Lord appeared unto him. Now note, the Lord says to him, Go not down into Egypt, dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Now, it goes without saying, he's saying, Don't go down into Egypt like your father did. When your father ran into a hard place, when your father ran into a famine, when there was a test in his faith, he packed up and left. Don't you do that. You stay in the land. And then in verse number two, verse number three, he says, Sojourn in this land and I'll be with thee. What did the pagans notice? The Lord is with you. So God is promising him, if you'll stay here in the land, I'm going to be with you, and then what else is he going to do? He said, I'll bless thee. What did the pagans say? We noticed God is with you, and God is blessing you. That's what's making a difference for them. And God is telling this, this servant of his, he's telling Isaac here, you run into a famine, you run into a time of trial, you run into a hard place, and, and sometimes it's rather easy to pack up and to run from a situation when you're running into difficulty. But he said, don't you do it. You stay here. You stay in the land. Now, to save a little time, look down at verse number 6. And Isaac dwelt in Gerar. We told him to stay. We told him in spite of the famine, in spite of the hard time, in spite of the difficulty, don't leave it. This is where I want you. You stay right here. There's where he had a testimony. There's where they noticed that God was with him. And there's where they noticed that God was blessing him. And God said, if you'll stay here, you, 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 can, you can depend on me being with you. And me being with you, I'm going to bless you. You say, Brother Hurt, what's the suggestion? Suggestion number one is this. Keep the faith in hard times. You'll have a hard time as you're here in this room tonight. Test trials. Difficulties, dark days, things that you didn't plan on, those things that will subject your faith to an awful test and a trial, and, 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 and there'll be another alternative, there can be another road you'll take off down, and you'll hear the enemy whispering to you, if it's not the, the, if it's not the, the evil one himself, it's the enemy called our flesh, and, and will try to get us to pack up and to leave where we know that God put us. Oh, well, we know we're in the will of God. Doing the work of God is a preach last night. And knowing that, that we preached about, that His will is generous and it's good and it's personal and right. But when you hit a hard place, oh, you'll entertain a thought. Well, maybe I ought to do the other. Go there. 
You know when you're more likely to build a testimony with people that's observing you is when you're going through a difficult time and you keep the faith. You don't get sour. You don't get bitter. You don't lash out. You don't begin to feel that of a resentment that you didn't deserve your hard place, the famine. Why did this have to come? And, and that's when family members, that's when friends, that's when people that live around you observe it and you don't even know it. And you'll come near, I repeat, having an impact and a testimony and really causing them to see that there is something about this business of serving God is when you're in a hard place. So suggestion number one, when you run into the famine in your faith, the trial, the, the difficult time, just keep the faith. Don't leave where God puts you. It wasn't someone preaching a sermon. It wasn't someone explaining a deep theological truth that got my attention. It was a sweet Christian, dedicated, humble Christian, going through a storm, if you please, going through a hard place, and they stayed sweet to it and worked around me. In fact, it was a family member, and I knew that I couldn't have handled what he was handling as a preacher of the night, and he handled it gracefully. And I tell you, it really got my attention. It caused me to realize that he had something that I didn't have. Now, I was already a church member. I had no relationship with the Lord. And I'd have told you in a minute that I was a Christian. And I was a, I was a Baptist church member. I said that out in Dallas area some time ago. And I talked about I was a, a Baptist. And then I was home preaching. And a young man asked me, he said, you, you, you mentioned back there, uh, you was a Baptist. And I said, yeah. He said, what are you now? I said, a Baptist. <laughs> he said, what's the difference now? I said, I'm a saved Baptist. Amen. <laughs> and that makes a difference. Oh. And I repeat, it wasn't someone, because I had no interest in church. I didn't go to church. Don't brag about that. I went as an 11-year-old and joined the church, and they baptized me. And I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but never been to Sunday school in my life. That's nothing to brag about. My folks didn't go to church. My mom and dad both got saved. I had the joy of preaching when they got saved. They were the Lord tonight. And they they were noble, good, honest people. My dad's one of the most honest men I ever met in my life. But he didn't know the Lord. And so we wasn't raised in church. Didn't go to church. And though I was a church member, but I didn't have a relationship with him. And it was through the life of a brother of mine that loved God and lived for God and walked close to God. And I'd hear him talk about with another quiet time, morning watch. I didn't know what he was talking about. You know, I didn't dare expose my ignorance. I didn't, but I'd get around and hear things. And I know now the reason he could bring the light into my darkness, he was meeting the Lord daily. And it really got my attention and caused me to realize he has something that I don't have. And began to acknowledge my lostness and my need of the Lord. And so he, he impacted me in that sense uh, through his hard place. Now, look please in verse number 7. You need to stay with me here a moment. It'll, it might sound a little contradictory what I'm going to say, but you just stay with me. In verse number 7, the men of the place ask him of his wife. He said, she's my sister. For he feared to say, she's my wife, lest said he, the men of the place should kill me for Rebecca, because she was fair to look up on. He had a, he had an attractive wife. He had a pretty wife, if you please. His wife was a beautiful woman. And his reasoning was, man, if I tell the truth here about this, I mean, I'm in pagan territory. And some of those kings was known to have a harem, and he feels like, you know, they may take my wife and do away with me. So he lies, and I'm not covering up for him. He lies. You can't 
I've heard people try to skirt around it. I said, well, that wasn't really a lie. Well, you can't, you can't make much else out of it. God tells us the truth about it, so there's no sense of us trying to cover up for it. Somebody's just take it right now. Brother Hurt, you're telling about talking about a fellow had a testimony. Well, he had a testimony. But wait just a minute. Here he is. In this moment of weakness of his faith, his courage is failing him. And when he's confronted about who his wife is, he, he says, she's my sister. And I don't know whether it's in the genes or not, but you students know that his father made the same mistake and error before him. And so here he is following in the failure of his father in the footsteps of his family. So now notice, it came to pass, verse 8, when he'd been there a long time. We're not told how long, but that's a considerable amount of time he's talking about now. It wasn't a day or two. He'd been there a long time. Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out the window and saw him. Behold, Isaac was sporting with Rebekah, his wife. They're acting unlike brothers and sisters act. I'll leave it there. Amen. And uh, he said, man, look at it. And Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, of a surety, she's thy wife. How said a spouse, she's my sister. Now notice, here's my point. Isaac said, Because. He's not covering up. He's not excusing. He's not denying. He's not being technical and trying to explain what the word means. He said, Because I said, Lest I die for her. You say, what's the suggestion? If you're going to have a good testimony around family and friends and neighbors, number one, keep the faith of your hard time. But number two, if you fail, admit your failure with honesty and humility. See, if you have to be perfect to have a good testimony, that'll rule us all out. Every one of us in this room, if you, if you have to be perfect, never made a mistake around your family or friends or your neighbors, never had a shortcoming, then forget it, because every one of us tonight, there's not a one of us in this room that would qualify. But the moment that I fail and my family members and my friends know that I'm, I've failed and I'm arrogant and stubborn about it and self-centered and defend myself with a bad spirit, you can just write her down. They won't have any confidence in you anymore. They may not tell you, but they'll mark you off when they know you have failed and you won't admit that failure. Just something about decent people. If you fail and you get up and acknowledge it and admit it with humility and honesty, they'll forgive you. And even here among these pagans, old Isaac, to his credit, when the finger was put on him, when he was aware that they was aware, you've goofed up, you've lied. He said, I, he just comes right to the point. He said, let me tell you what I, the reason I did it. Because I said, lest I die. For her. I was listening to a man preach not long ago, and I won't go into any detail. I wouldn't mention his name. He'd be talking out of school a little on it. Some of you would not recognize the name. His wife said to me after that meeting, she said, Brother Hurt, and she was in tears. I prayed, and it's not, not to my credit, but she's being kind to me, and I don't mean to be tooting my horn tonight. But she said, I, I appreciate, she called her husband's name, and she said, I appreciate you believing in him when most people gave up on him. I preached for him. We had 1,100 people there on Sunday when I preached for him. And, uh, but 25 years ago, he dropped the ball. He had failed. Not in no, you know, moral failure, but he's just down. It wasn't, wasn't a matter with his wife or wasn't in that realm. It was just, I mean, it was a, it was a terrible defeat. 
and, and he told me what some had told him, and he was so discouraged, and he said, you know, just to be honest, I, he said, I, I, I'd be willing to serve God in any capacity, but said, I, I'm being told it's probably no use. I said, I don't know why people tell you that, and but I said to him, man, if you want to get up, I'll help you. You, you want to serve God, I'm not going to be harder on you than the Lord is. The Lord says, if you'll confess, he'll forgive you. And he'll restore you. Simon Peter stood up and preached one sermon. And 3,000 came to the Lord. One message. But a little while before that, he's using some bad language. And he said, I don't even know him. Most of us would have marked him off right there and said, he's finished. But the Lord took him out there and put him to some questions to him. Said, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And recommissioned him. And boy, the power of God falls on him. And he wrote two of the books of the Bible after that. Oh, listen to me. I mean, here, acknowledge your failure. Do it with honesty. Do it with humility. Don't be arrogant about it. Don't defend yourself. Don't demand your own rights about it. And uh, that dear man, God, when I hear him preach, what a preacher. What a student of the book. How he opens the Word of God. And most people don't even know about the, the failure back there. But his wife in tears, and they both walked close to God. She said to me, and she was so kind to me, and my wife was with me. said, Brother Hurt, uh, I want to thank you again. She called her husband for believing in him when most people gave up on him. Well, old Isaac's our example tonight. Isaac, he kept the faith in his hard time. Isaac admitted his failure with honesty and humility. But there's something else he did. Let's drop down now, leave some verses here. Drop down to about verse 19. And uh, Isaac's servants digged in the valley, and they found there a well of spring and water. And the herdmen of Gerard did strive with Isaac's herdmen, saying, The water's ours. He called the name of the well Isaac, because they strove with him. That means contention or strife. And they digged another well. Now, don't miss this now. He's not fighting. He hangs a name on it. Names are so significant that you students know, especially in the Old Testament era, through those early stages, and this name identifies the, what's happening at this well, and, and it's a well of strife and contention. This crowd's out there, and they want to fuss about it and fight over it. And he just hangs a sign on it and digs another well. And they strove for that also, and he called it Sitna, means hatred. It's getting worse now. And he removed from thence and digged another well. No, not fighting. Digging him another well. Putting these names on it so they'll be identified what's going on. This crowd around him, there they are, striving and contending and fighting. And, and it's because they're full of hatred. And he removed from thence and digged another well. And for that they strove not. I'll come back to it. But you say, Brother Hurt, what's the suggestion? I said, keep the faith in hard times. Uh, be honest about your failures with humility. And number three, renounce your fighting spirit. That spirit of contention. That spirit of controversy. I've observed this as a pastor in particular, but I've observed it going to churches on an annual basis now for many years. I've watched people that really impact. I've watched people that have a godly influence. I've watched people that when, when I'm around them, I just, I just know God's with them. When I, when I begin to understand their story, I have to acknowledge God blessed him. God's blessed her. And I, I can't say that about people that's known for being, you know, contentious. Every time there's a 
strife going on. They right in the middle of it. They didn't start it. They're part of it. When my glass is off. I can't see past the front row. I can't tell if you're frowning or smiling. Somebody, let me stay with me tonight. I'm no smaller except last night, but I didn't start yesterday. If you hadn't learned a few things in 40 years of preaching, you might want to quit. Amen. Too late to try now. Oh, listen to me. I know who we are. There's something about us. Don't, don't, you know, that's my will. You're in my place. That's mine. Self is still alive and on the throne. And, and we're so self-centered about everything. And self has a way of expressing itself through us in so many ways. One of them is we're being touchy and we're, we're easily offended and we're upset and quick on the trigger all the time. Oh, no. Jesus talks about New Testament terminology. Go the second mile. Turn the cheek. Return kindness for evil. So if you do that, you're heaping coals of fire. That's an expression. You're really subduing that enemy when you do that, that opponent. Now, listen. There's a place the other day preaching along this line and then misunderstood. And one of them said, Brother Hurt, uh, does Brother Hurt, does he belong to that crowd that, you know, that crowd that's demonstrating in the street? Is Brother Hurt against, you know, the troops and all of that? Let me say real quick tonight. Oh, I have no time for that crowd that's out there doing that. I sat and listened to our president today, and to be honest with you, I lifted my hands toward heaven, and, and I sat and prayed for him and thanked God for him. And I saw pictures of those troops and, and family members, and I wept with those families. Oh, I... I tell you, that, that, that there's, there's wars that has a righteous base, and I think this one has. I stood and I built a sermon on David when he went out to face Goliath, and I'm preaching on some good examples coming up in a meeting I'm going to. This will be one of them. That's why I guess I've drawn back to it tonight. A good example from Isaac, but a good example from David. Five things we learn about David when he went out and faced Goliath. And one of the things, David, he had a profound sense of that, that that cause that he was standing for was based in righteousness. That's what moved him. He said, is there not a cause? The rest of them, they didn't acknowledge a cause, but David did. And he wasn't faced the enemy and said, I'm in the name of the one that you're defined. It's his army you're defined. So there is a righteous cause. So don't read something that I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about defending your country or defending your family. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what we're so quick to fuss and fight about. It's our little reputation. Self-centered. When the Lord wants us to die and prefer someone else. And that's when they begin to see the Lord in us. So then they're talking about I've gone home from somewhere in recent weeks and, and I've listened to talk radio and listened to a Louisville station going through Louisville, moving on up home. I'm two hours from Louisville. And so, and, and, and there's a fellow there and he was connected some way there with a recruiting station and, and they were talking about, you know, what's going on and, and a fella called. He was in the southern part of Indiana, I think, across the river of western Kentucky. And he really got my attention. He said, and he, he said in the first place, and he, and he called this officer by name, and he said, I'm going to tell you, I appreciate your commitment to our country. And they've been asking questions and he, you know, he, he, he's been the mystic of that. He said, I want you to know. And he said, identify with you. I've been there too. In America. And he said, now, I just wanted to call you. And he said, I'm going to give the screener my name and address. And I just want to tell you, he said, now, I'm 65. I've got a little, he said, a little arthritis in one knee. But he said, if you need me, he said, I don't have no transportation. If you'd come get me, if y'all need me, I'm ready to go, he said. 
and some 65 with some arthritis, but he said, now I'll tell you, he said, don't have no way to get over there to where you at. But he said, I, I've got my own gun. He said, you don't need to give me a gun. Amen. He said, I'll bring my own gun with me. I drive down the road and said, hallelujah, glory to God. Thank God, you know. I mean, you don't see. They won't interview him on CNN. Amen. Oh, listen to me. You say you're getting political. No, I'm just telling the truth. Listen to me. I'm talking about that. I'm talking about when I'm talking about renounce your fighting spirit. It's a spirit of contention. You have to be right all the time. And, 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 and you're right about everything. And you're fussing fight over that. Oh, you won't have much of an impact. People won't pay much attention. They'll cross the street to get away from you. They don't want to be around you. They won't notice God, will you? They'll notice that you're cantankerous and me about something all the time. Renounce that. Let God fight your battle. No Isaac. He just moved one way out the other and said, all right, put a name on it and move over here. But then he dug another way. Oh, look at it. After digging the other... The scripture said they didn't, and for that, for that one they didn't, they didn't strive, they didn't fight about it. Uh, for that they strove not, and he called the name of it Rehoboam. And he said, for now the Lord hath made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Means fruitful, means room. And when he hung that sign on it, everybody knew exactly what that sign meant. You say, what's that say to us tonight? I've said, Renounce your fighting spirit. Admit your failures with humility and honesty. Keep the faith in your hard time, but then celebrate your victories. Give God the glory. Let your neighbors know if you're blessed, who blessed you. Don't take credit for it. Hang the right sign on your blessing. Amen. Let your neighbors and your family and friends know that God's a good God. God has, has blessed you and given you some room and made you fruitful. He hung that sign out there. And then the last suggestion, not only keep the faith in hard times if you want to make a difference with your family and friends and neighbors. Admit your failures with humility and honesty. Don't take up for yourself. Don't be self-centered. Renounce that fighting spirit. Have a humble spirit and prefer other people. Celebrate your victories. And in verse number 25, said he built an altar there. And called upon the name of the Lord. Maintain a life of prayer. Stay in tune and touch with God. Oh, if you'll have a quiet time daily, get the inner man renewed every day. Don't let a day go past that you don't have a meeting with God. And people around you will start noticing God is with him. God is blessing her. Would you stand with me, please, as we stand? The Lord is in this room tonight. He's here in a sweet and a precious and real way again. I said to him this afternoon, pardon me for being so personal, but I said, Lord, I want to make a difference in somebody's life. I want someone to see you in my life. Someone is the observed to know that God is real. I, I suspect that's the testimony of most everyone in this room tonight. There's somebody we're thinking of. We'd like to be the light in their darkness. Be the salt in the decay that's around them and cause them to want to come to him. I believe Isaac's a good example for us here. My prayer is the Lord will enable these, these qualities to be in our life. Let's pray. Father, seal your truth to our hearts. Make it easy for us to say yes to thee tonight. Glorify the Lord Jesus. We bless you in his name tonight.